Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I'm your ever-so-humble host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee. So I want to thank everybody who's here. Of course, the time of the live broadcast. If you're so fortunate as to be hearing the live broadcast, 
is November 10th. It is 2019, and it's just a few brief moments after 3 p.m. Eastern. You, of course, can adjust appropriately to your time zone, wherever you may be. want to give a special shout-out to the fine folks listening to KYAH 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority. And also, the fine folks who are getting to hear me live right now, as well, we will still get to hear the rebroadcast come Monday. Uh, WCET 101.7 FM, Columbia's Talk in beautiful Columbia, South Carolina. Thank you guys for being here. And on the line with me right now is the host of Simple Facts of Life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the broadcast, the man you all know as Chief. Chief, thank you so much for joining me on uh, this Veterans Day weekend. I certainly appreciate you uh, switching up the scheduling a little bit. Normally you come on on the third Sunday of the month. Bumped it up a little bit because I just I wanted to, first of all, I know I haven't really done this directed towards you, but as I thank all of our veterans, I also wanted to thank you personally for your service, for your time in the uh, Navy as you did your stint uh, to basically help keep us all safe and, uh, you know, uh, thank you. I appreciate what you did and why you continue to be a patriot. So, Chief, welcome to the show, and uh, thank you. Uh, well, it's always good to be here, and I appreciate your thanks for my personal job of saving the world from Saddam Hussein back in 1990. Well, I did have a little help, but yeah, you know, sure, it was all me. Well, That's why not? Thing. Why not? <laughs> right. Why not? <laughs> well, you know, uh, Chief, it, it is a time where uh, we do get a little more uh, attention directed towards the veterans. But the truth of the matter is we should be grateful for our vets all the time, and we just aren't. So I, I kind of wanted to focus a little bit early on with our conversation this Sunday on why we aren't more appreciative of our veterans and uh, kind of get your take since you have served, you've spent time in the uniform and, you know, it's, you've had no shortage of different responsibilities. And we'll talk a little bit more a little later about some of the things you've done, uh, if you don't mind. And, uh, you know, I just really wanted to kind of have that relaxed conversation from a veteran and what, uh, what service meant to you. But We'll we'll kind of start there. Where where why don't we give our veterans enough respect anymore? I mean, what happened in this country? Well, strangely enough, I think we actually get more respect than we did back in the day when I was early in my time in the Navy. But that was during the Vietnam era. It was not very popular. Now. The reason I think that we get a little more respect now is something happened right after Vietnam, and that was the draft ended. When there's no draft and it's an all-volunteer, suddenly we find ourselves where the military has to get a little more respect because otherwise we could find ourselves in a situation where we might have to have a draft again. And the people on the left, they do not want that. So therefore, the military gets a little more respect now, I think, simply because 
they don't want to go, so they are more thankful to the people who are willing to step up and do the job. That's just sort of how I see it. But, you know, I mentioned right at the top, the Gulf War was a big turning point. Uh, Even right up almost, you know, this was in, that started like uh, August 2nd, 1990 was the day that Iraq invaded Kuwait. And right up until that moment, veterans or, or service members were not given a whole lot of respect. But then it got to the point where there was a war. It seemed just to most people because it was an obvious act of aggression. We did hear the no blood for oil thing, but let's face it, vital national interests. Maintaining the flow of oil from the Persian Gulf was a big deal back then. So it was not an unpopular war. Obvious aggression, vital national interests. Now, I did not actually serve in the desert storm phase of it. I was already back home by then. But what I was doing, I was the uh, chief of the navigation department aboard USS Independence, which was an aircraft carrier, which just happened to be in the, or not in the Persian Gulf, but in the Indian Ocean at the time of the invasion. We were heading to uh, Diego Garcia to do something. Diego Garcia is that little British island a thousand miles south of the Persian Gulf. And so we made it, we were a couple days away from there and we made a right turn and headed up toward the uh, Arabian Gulf. And we, you know, the technology back then wasn't like it is now, but we got a lot of, uh, you know, news from what was going on in the States. And we could see that the, the people seemed to be behind us. And, you know, the local San Diego news uh news station sent people out to the ship because we were home ported in San Diego and I got you know I I appeared on the TV news there because they came up to the uh, bridge and so they talked to me among a lot of other people and you know I saw that after I got home but what I found that was most interesting was I mean they could not do enough for us when we got there because we happened to be the, the uh, you know, it was an aircraft carrier. We were the main, uh, the main uh, United States force in the area at the very start of it. So we weren't involved in a lot of shooting that I know of, but we sent a few airplanes over just, you know, to say, hi, Sam, we're here. And that kind of gave him pause because there was a lot of talk that he uh, might plan on moving into Saudi Arabia since he was already halfway there at the time. But few F-14s and such flying around maybe gave him a little pause that he might have a little more problems uh, than he had going into Kuwait. And when we got back, um, 
it was which was just before Christmas on uh, 1990, and the, the response was amazing. Uh, the city of San Diego could not do enough for us. I mean, we we were just it was heroes. It was like like you know victory in Europe day almost. I, I was amazed by it. I had not seen that for the you know dozen or so years or 15 years that I had been in the Navy by then. So it is, well, I don't know. Have I rambled on too long about this? Uh, no, sir. No, sir, not at all. In fact, that's kind of what we're looking for today. I mean, you had a great experience at this level, and you got to feel the love of the American people, and that's a good thing. You got to, to feel the love of the folks where you uh, came back into port, and I think that is something that is very often underplayed, and you do have that uh, take that's a little different than the norm. Uh, I wish that uh, wish that attitude had continued quite honestly. Uh, but I, you're, you're here to tell those stories, so you're definitely not rambling on too long. I am curious, though, during the course of what you guys were doing uh, and as that action first began, was there a, uh, a different feeling on board the uh, ship where you were? Uh, did the sailors and officers that you were serving with uh, adopt a different attitude? Was there a different energy? I'm just curious what it was actually like, or was it just business as usual and no real uh, attention paid? Oh, it it, uh, it was it was different. It uh, it changed a lot of things as far as the attitude. You know, when you're in a in a training situation, which is what you know we do most of the time. Uh, you know, it is it, it's it's boring, but. We, you know, I mean, this was it. This was what we were training for to a degree. Uh, we did not know, you know, what was going to happen. Uh, we did know pretty much that, you know, it was building up and we had our regular schedule. And interestingly enough, uh, we knew we had to be back in San Diego because of the really important things. There is just around Christmas time, there's a hol- there's something called the Holiday Bowl in San Diego, and part of the tradition <laughs> is the teams are that are playing in the Holiday Bowl have a reception aboard an aircraft carrier, so they needed to have one in San Diego for it, and that was us. So, but and they they had sent all the others that are already there. They actually, when we were there, it was. It, 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 we were in it. We actually went into the Persian Gulf briefly just for a day because there was some concern about operating an aircraft carrier in the con- relatively confined waters. So we, they just wanted us to go there and fly some planes around in the Persian Gulf. And uh, actually, as it turned out, it, it was not a problem at all for us. It's not that small. And at the time, they actually had, during the actual war, they had four aircraft carrier groups uh, operating in the Persian Gulf and another one or two in the Red Sea. But 
but it, it was it was it. We went into the Persian Gulf. That was we were a little worried about it because to get through the Straits of Hormuz, you have to go right past Iran. And I do remember that we had uh, one of our escorts, a uh, guided missile cruiser. I mean, they had missiles on the launchers ready to shoot during that time that we were going close by Iran because we just didn't know what was going to happen with it. Uh, but as it was, it was just fine. I do remember there were small... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Boats with uh, flags from the United Arab Emirates were, were cheering us. I mean, wave, it was... I mean, they were happy to see us there. Seems kind of weird, you know, with all that had been going on before and since. But at that moment, uh, they were happy to see us there. Had a great time. General Schwarzkopf came out to see us. And we did did a nice little air show for the general. He seemed to be duly impressed. Uh... Must have had their best pilots. I was amazed. Just as a little aside, I was watching. They had uh, just okay, General. This is what we can do for you. And they had a um, they they had a helicopter, something drop a smoke float in the water, and they had these A six, which was the uh, you know the the closest thing that a carrier carried at the time to a heavy bomber. And they came just in fast and low, did a pop-up maneuver which to do a lob, basically to lob a bomb. And it was just a small little training bomb. But this thing from a mile or two away came in low, fast, did a pop-up maneuver, and lobbed that bomb and almost knocked this little smoke float. I mean, just hit it. Had it been a... 500-pound bomb in a t- against a tank, the tank would have been destroyed with one thing. And they did this a few times. Those guys were good. I, I was quite amazed. You know, I did like I did like that was always the the funnest thing we ever did on aircraft carriers was air shows for people. Uh, very impressive. Yeah. Well, it sounds uh, it sounds pretty impressive. I, I'm liking the story. Uh, one of the other things, though, I I, I we've never uh, discussed it before, 
Uh, but uh, Crazy Cajun, who's uh, actually one of the engineers for the great radio station, WCET 101.7 FM in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, he served uh, in the Coast Guard. He was talking about uh, have, having had his draft number, uh, and uh, he talked about how he told the Army guy, nope, because uh, I've already joined the Coast Guard. But he did talk about uh, one of the bad things about being uh, out uh, underway. Uh, of course, he said uh, underway. Yeah, actually, that's what the, <laughs> this is the term he used. He said he missed the children growing up. <clears throat> How was it uh, as far as interacting with your family? Because that is the other thing that really, I think, also gets shortchanged when we talk about people who wear the uniforms is the fact that if these folks have left a young family behind, or even if it's just their parents and siblings that are uh, still here stateside, that there are still a lot of sacrifices that are made by the family members of those who choose to serve, or in the case of the draft, those who were <laughs> subscripted to serve. But uh, uh, how was your family relations at the time, and what type of uh, relationships did you see going on with some of your shipmates? Uh, some examples of uh, some strength, you know, the kind of things that that we really need to be reminded of because it's not just the folks in uniform that are affected by uh, by serving. Oh, oh, I, absolutely. Well, in my case, for most of the time, I was single. I did get married. I was married in, in uh, during the, the Gulf War. And it was an interesting because my wife, you know, young woman at the time, and she was like panicky. You know, she'd send me these letters and she was worried about me and I'm reassuring her, you know, they, you know, in the immortal words of MC Hammer, you can't touch this. I mean, I, I was not worried <laughs> at all about my safety. Uh but yeah, people were worried. Uh, I did see over the years, though, it is, it is a problem. That life goes on for the families when the people are gone. And in, in the Navy, it's kind of a regular thing. If you're just a, a fleet sailor, you, you, you go out, you go to work, you go to work in the morning, come home in the afternoon, Go to work in the morning, come home in the afternoon, go to work in the morning, and you're gone for six months. I mean, that's it, it just happens that way. So, and but the family has to get on. I do, uh, I would, uh, I periodically mention on my show uh, the best, my favorite charity that I would recommend is. The Navy and Marine Corps Relief Society, uh, they do a lot of great work for the families of people who get it, you know, because people in the military, especially the young junior people, don't get paid a whole lot. And family finances, uh, everybody's, so many people are one car breakdown away from, you know, a financial calamity. And so, you know, on this Veterans Day, uh, I might mention the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society. I know the Army and the Air Force also have similar things, and uh, 
I'm not as familiar with them, but I know they have them. But it is a great charity insofar as if you want to donate to that, and you can go to, uh, you can find them on the Internet, every penny you give goes directly to help our sailors and Marines and Coast Guardsmen also, and also uh, the Army Air Force also can access the Navy relief because it depends on the area. There are Army people, say, in San Diego, not a lot of them, but Navy relief is very big there. But the it is an all basically volunteer or you may get volunteered, I was, but there are only a very few salaried employees of the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society, and their salaries are paid by the interest on the original endowment that uh, started the society. So every penny, and it's not supported by the government at all other than you know, offer a little office space or whatever on bases and that sort of thing. But they don't get any government money. But every cent you give to the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society goes directly to help uh, sailors and Marines who find themselves in problems. And they do a lot of, uh, and I don't want to go into all the things they do, but it's very much especially about helping the families. So, that I'll give that little pitch. All right. And <clears throat> I'm sure that uh, there's a lot of veterans out there that appreciate it just on the off chance they're not familiar. Uh, you know, it, that is something else uh, that we probably don't spend enough time talking about. It's, it's not enough to just say thank you. Uh, we should be doing more to help. And I'm glad to see organizations that are doing exactly that. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind, though, when you talk about how the government's not uh, – uh, giving any financial assistance there is I'm thinking good <laughs> because we've seen how they how well they work when their money's invested they start trying to run everything and they're not that good at it <laughs> they're just not all right Chief, That's true. let me uh Okay, let me go ahead and hit the uh, Edwards Notebook and then the Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans of the t- uh, Veterans Tip of the Day. And then after that, we'll pick up the conversation right at that point and maybe even segue into some comments about where our VA is and, and some things of that nature because uh, obviously uh, it could be better. But uh, they des- our vets deserve so much better. So hang with me, guys. Uh, Chief and I will be right back in the meanwhile. Here's Ron Edwards. Recently in Dayton, Ohio, a young stuck-on-stupid thug broke into a Dollar General store wielding a handgun, threatening to shoot a clerk. Unfortunately for the threatening thug, the clerk had a permanent legal answer. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards on today's page from the Edwards Notebook. When the invading thug threatened the general store clerk with a gun, the clerk quickly responded in kind with a gun blast that leveled the dangerous intruder. But rather than being thankful, a would-be criminal was stopped in its tracks. Urban activist types, including the criminal sister, stated that, that the store clerk should not have been allowed to have a gun. This is a dangerous manner of thinking that opens the door to not only street thug criminal activity, 
but in the long run, government tyranny as well. I do not celebrate that a person who chose to threaten the life of someone else lost his life, but I do celebrate and recognize the unalienable right to protect oneself from thugs, whether they're in the streets or in government. For those who don't want law-abiding citizens to protect themselves, beware, you could be on the receiving end of that stupid, deadly wish. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.talkspot.com for news updates and other great stuff. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans tip of the day. According to McClatchy, there is a growing concern among service members and their families about various blood, prostate, and urinary tract cancers. From 2000 to 2018, the number of soldiers being treated for the three aforementioned types of cancer has steadily risen. Experts agree there are some common denominators, including the location where the soldiers served and the obvious fact that they were all in the military. Navy Commander Mike Crosby, founder of the Veterans Prostate Awareness, said, We don't know what the cause is. That study has yet to be done. So here's your veterans tip of the day. Go to vetsprostate.org. That's vetsprostate.org and check it out. Remember, early diagnosis increases the survival rate. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for being with us today. As always, I greatly appreciate it. Whether you're listening live or whether you're listening to the rebroadcast over terrestrial radio or listening to the podcast in places like iHeartRadio or Spotify or even at iTunes. And by the way, guys, iTunes is back in the mix for the top three. They kind of slipped down there for a little bit. Podcast Attic had jumped up ahead of everybody for a bit. And just for those of you who are patriotic, I want to let you know that the USA is back in the top spot for worldwide listening to the podcast version now. So thank you guys for uh, getting back into the game. Paris, France was still the number one city, though, as of right now. Uh, four different cities from France in the top ten last week, putting the marvelous – nation of France in the top spot ahead of my home country. That has not happened before, but uh, I'm going to take that as a good sign. In the meanwhile, uh, crazy Cajun uh, shared a little uh, bit of information. I'm sure most of you guys are probably aware of this, but if you are a veteran, there's a lot of restaurants, both sit-down casuals and quick service and various other type of restaurants similar uh, places like Starbucks, for example. I don't really consider them a restaurant, but you know, as, you know they're, they're looking to offer up some free stuff for some vets. All you have to do is show your military ID card. So uh, I hope some of you guys will take advantage of that opportunity. It's not offered up very often. I Meanwhile, on the line with me is Chief. He is the host of Simple Facts of Life, a great 30-minute program that you can hear at blogtalkradio.com. You can hear him live on Tuesday nights at starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. You, of course, can adjust your time zone accordingly to check him out live, or you can go back and listen into the archives. In the meanwhile, Chief is here sharing some of his stories from the Navy and his thoughts 
on Veterans Day, and that's kind of what our first hour topic is with him. Chief, thank you so very much for being with me today. As always, I appreciate it, especially mixing things up a little bit out of the regular schedule when you normally would join me. And uh, before we go any further, I I know I kind of mentioned a big chunk of it, but uh, that's not everything you do. So please, uh, should someone decide that they want to look into maybe uh, your blogs, maybe uh, they didn't quite catch what I told them before about looking you up, please let everybody know where your work can be found. All right. The uh, the website for my radio show, blogtalkradio.com slash QMCUSN, or just search Simple Facts of Life. I've got enough uh, in the archives that will come up there pretty quickly. My blog is qmcusn.wordpress.com. I uh, don't write on there very much but because I'm one of those people who obsesses every word and punctuation mark, so I find it easier just to run my mouth. But that's where you can find me. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, simple Facts of Life uh, page on Facebook. But okay. I, I do have to. I was looking at the chat room and you mentioned earlier what Crazy Cajun had said about uh, how he found himself in the Coast Guard. I have a story that I tell every now and then about how I happened to come in the Navy because it was very similar. Uh, My draft number was 18. They were going up to about 125 that year. So I'd actually gotten a brief deferment for some medical issues. Uh, Then they sent they brought me in for another uh, re-examination and said, yeah, you're okay, you can go. Well, at that time, they were past 18, so I knew my draft notice was coming any minute now. And so, in fact, actually, the very next day after I had been certified as available for service, um, I got a call from the Army recruiter. said, hey, I just heard you, uh, yeah, you want to come and talk to us? So I said, yeah, I guess I better. So I went and talked to the Army recruiter. I talked to the Air Force recruiter. I talked to the Navy recruiter. Um, I felt that the Navy had offered me the best deal. So I, I decided to go in the Navy. And I had a date to go, you know, go into boot camp and everything. And the day before I was due to go in 
to go, you know, to go to boot camp. My draft notice showed up. I've still got it somewhere, you know, message from the president of the United States, greetings, you know, all of that. Here's the interesting thing about this. I had a cousin, same last name, who got his draft notice the same day as I did. His, his number was a little farther down the list, but his number was – we both got our draft notice to report the same day, which was about a month a month later. I come to find out that when he went to report, they tried to give him my paperwork. They did not realize that I had already been in the Navy for a month at the time, so <laughs> had to straighten that out. But they were still expecting me to show up and be drafted, even though I was in boot camp in San Diego at the time so that's how it was back then a lot of people were sort of and that's what I mentioned uh, you know a half hour ago the draft had a lot of effect on how people regarded the military you know crazy Cajun went uh, decided to go for the Coast Guard Coast Guard was a little as I understand it was a little harder to get into at the time simply because a lot of Nobody wanted to go to Vietnam. I did not want to go to Vietnam uh, for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, but also, the Navy was more my, you know, I living in Los Angeles, uh, I'd been out on the ocean, you know, fishing boats and this and that, you know, my whole life. So it was a little more natural for me. And even uh, years before, I sort of saw myself as being in the Navy you know, when I was a young kid. So it, it seemed more natural to me. But that's that's how it worked. And I got, I got to say something about the Coast Guard, too, because between the Navy and the Coast Guard, uh, there's a lot of ribbing. You know, we, we refer to them as the knee-deeps because they don't get out into water deeper than knee-deep. But those guys are the bravest and I think kind of the craziest people in the military, some of the things they do. It is amazing what they do, like helping out the people who just, through sheer stupidity, get themselves in some really bad situations, and the Coast Guard has to come and save their butts. And they, the risks those guys take, I mean... We joke a lot, but there there is a lot of respect for the Coast Guard. So, just wanted to uh, to say that to say that about them. So. Yeah. Now, where well, you know, where was I supposed? What was I supposed to be talking about? <laughs> well, we were going to start uh, kind of heading towards the direction of how well our government's keeping our promises to our, our veterans. Now, I know uh, for a fact, unmistakably, that you are an individual who doesn't just preach it, but you firmly believe uh, individual liberty requires individual responsibility. So you're not somebody that's constantly out here looking uh, for uh, somebody to just give you something. And I'm pretty sure I can make the assessment that uh, your service wasn't contingent on getting stuff when you came back. So I, I don't know what your personal feelings are in regards to how much more we should be doing because I think you might have that personal attitude of well, we've all got to make it on our own. 
But I, for one, believe that you know, we should be keeping whatever promises were made, and you can have that conversation differently. I don't think uh, there's anything wrong with that expectation. But uh, how how have your interactions been with the government since uh, leaving uh, service? Uh, how many interactions uh, would you say you've had that are positive? And of course, obviously, I'm not looking for a specific number, but you know, we we hear complaints all the time about the VA, uh, mostly because they're top loaded with bureaucrats and they're overloaded with the workload. Uh, I think there are a lot of frontline folks that are trying to do the best they can. Uh, with their hands handcuffed behind their back based on the conversations I've had, but I haven't had to fight through any of that. I haven't had to wade through that red tape. So uh, if you can tell us a little bit about uh, any of your experiences, of course, not mentioning any of your personal medical history, just your interactions and and how you feel they're keeping up the promises, not just at the VA, but uh, the government in total, as far as, as far as you having served and and other stories you've heard, other fellow uh, veterans that you're aware of. Okay, sure. Uh, that, that was a lot of buildup for, in my case, not a whole lot. I have had zero uh, interactions with the VA since I left the Navy. The only interactions I ever had was the first time I bought a home. I was still on active duty, and I did get a VA loan simply because it was very easy. So, but I, but as far as the promises go, I I have no complaints because I don't deal with the Veterans Administration. I get uh, some money from the Navy, my health insurance. Well, these days it's mainly uh, Medicare because I'm kind of old, but also as my supplemental insurance is what's called TRICARE, which is the uh, military, it's Department of Defense, not Department of Veterans Affairs. It's the military health care that supervides my uh, family's insurance, my supplemental insurance for my Medicare. So it, <laughs> I see Crazy Cajun says he has TRICARE Prime. I used to have TRICARE Prime, but I no longer... Thank you, President Obama. I no longer qualify for it because they kind of changed that around. They tried to get people on Obamacare, but uh, TRICARE Extra or whatever. But in my case, I don't have to. I don't have to pay any money for my supplemental health care insurance. Uh, the TRICARE Prime had some premiums or uh, that you had to pay. TRICARE Extra is just totally government funded so but i do get i have never had a problem with my uh navy pension showing up in my bank account when it's supposed to i have i've had no problems with them as far as the veterans administration i get the feeling that it tends as you mentioned it's it's the people i have a uh, one of the people i periodically refer to on my radio show former shipmate, a veteran. He's had a lot of health problems. He lives in West Virginia, and he just sings the praises of the VA medical system constantly. He's had, like, several heart bypass surgeries. He feels that they he has been very well taken care of. So maybe 
you know, but when, then we heard the horror stories of the VA hospital, like in Phoenix and whatnot, a few years ago. So it may have to do with just the people and where they are. Bureaucracy is bureaucracy, but uh, if the people care, they'll take care of you. That's just kind of the way the way it seems to me. I like I say, I don't really know that much about the VA. I I do have a, another friend who lives in Japan who has a hearing loss and he's been trying to get money from it and the, about it, you know, because it's something that happened while he was in the Navy and he's just been running up against brick wall after brick wall. So different people have different experiences. Uh, I think the people in the VA, most of them, they want to do the job. Uh, as you mentioned, if promises were made, they should be kept. Uh, I did not, you know, I, my time in the Navy, I, I was aware, you know, sure, I, I, I felt that I was serving my country, but it primarily was a job. I, it was a job I did for many years then. I moved on for, you know, many years I drove a truck. That was my job. So uh, that's what it was to me. They made, they take care of me. They give me money, but that was the deal. They made the promise. And they didn't make that promise because they're nice guys. They made that promise because they had to. I could explain that if you want, but they have to make these promises because you know, they don't pay you that much when you're in the Navy. And to spend the most productive time of your young life uh, at working at a job that you know you can only stay in for so long and then you're going to have to leave. Military is a young man's profession. So they can't expect you to work at a job until you're about 40 years old and then start over with nothing. That's not going to work. But they do need people to stay in and be chiefs because you need people to be chiefs or senior officers or, you know, sergeant first class, whatever, whatever that you need people that are going to do that. So you have to give them a reason. So that's why they make the promises. Um, I have not had a problem that where I believe that they didn't keep their promises to me other than that whole TRICARE thing. Uh, that really annoyed me because I felt that under the Obama administration, they reneged on the promise as far as my medical insurance. Uh, it, it, that caused some problems for a, for a while till I got to be up to Medicare age. So, okay. Have I said enough well, about that? I, <laughs> well, if you're done, I suppose so, Chief. No, I, I, I do think you make a great point, and that is uh, I, I like to believe that the overwhelming majority of folks that are trying to uh, – provide these services and care for our veterans are doing exactly that. And it kind of sounds like uh, 
based on your personal experience that that's a fair assessment. Uh, you know, we do hear these horror stories. Uh, I still personally think as long as politics enters into the game, whether you're talking active duty or our veterans, they should always be the last folks that uh, you look at cutting budgets for. They should be the last people that you look to take shortcuts against because whether they're just working uh, the job or whether they're going directly in harm's way and you know, just literally leaving everything that they possibly can or at the very least risking it, and that counts for a lot of folks who uh, – are not necessarily directly in uh, the line of fire, if you will, because you know stuff happens everywhere. You being on board a ship, all it would take would be a, an unexpected uh, malfunction, and the ship could be in a lot of trouble, and not every sailor gets off in cases like that. It, it is a dangerous line of work. It, it's a situation where when you step on board uh, that aircraft carrier in your case or whether you step on board a helicopter to go run a rescue mission or like crazy cajun was talking about if you go diving to getting on board some wrecks off the coast of vietnam it doesn't matter what you're doing there's inherent risk just for wearing the uniform just for putting that uniform on and that's not even taking into account the fact that we have uh, uncolored enemies these days we have enemies that are not in a uniform that it simply puts a bullseye on you uh, to be wearing uh, a uniform so uh, i have a great deal of respect for that but yeah we definitely definitely have to be mindful of all it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All these scenarios. Chief, uh, I would really love to know what veterans day actually means to you personally um obviously again you're the kind of person that believes that uh, individual liberty individual responsibility it's more than a tagline for you it is a firm belief it's the basis of uh, your general philosophy for life and it is certainly a simple fact of life nonetheless but uh, as far as veterans day what does that actually mean to you personally? Well, uh, free coffee at Starbucks? No, actually, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that you know, it, we have to remember our veterans because you know, it's like, like there are there are people who really. Um, I mean, there are people that got shot really badly injured. Uh, they're running around and their lives are ruined. And, the, and they, they stood up, they took the, uh, 
they took the risk and most came back okay. Although I I do have a uh, an old shipmate of mine, he calls me every now and then, and uh, you know and he he was in he was he actually after he left the navy he went in uh, to the army and he made sergeant first class which is the same army pay grade as uh, chief, but he he you know we started talking about this and that. And I can tell that he he has some issues. I mean, not he wasn't he wasn't hurt, but he he was in some firefights, and he he has some uh, mental emotional scars. So you know, like I say, he, back when he was in the Navy, I was his chief, so I listen to him. I do the I still do the chief thing. Try to take care of my men. He was one of my men at the time. I listened to him. I, you know, talk, you know, just talk to him and just try, you know, just give him a shoulder to cry on a little bit. Um, So, you know, not all scars are physical. And a lot of people who have been in situations, I was never a big believer in, in uh, the whole uh, bat, you know, uh, shell shock, battle fatigue, PTSD, but I do see it. It it's a real thing, and I my experience here. I was just I was out there, you know, on the love boat or whatever. But it was I didn't have people shooting at me, or at least as far as I know, I never had anybody shooting at me. If they did shoot at me, they missed pretty badly because I didn't even know I was shot at. But, um, but yeah, there are people who actually have to get out in the dirt, and it's uh, it's hard on them, and they, and, they, and they have to carry that for the rest of their lives. So we we do have we have to honor the sacrifice, and we have to understand that uh, mo- while most you know, just put it behind them. There are, it's, it's never goes away. Uh, I still think about, you know, just various little hairy situations. I came, I came across in my time in the Navy, uh, not, uh, not so much, you know, not combat, but, um, just kinds of dangerous situations. Uh, most, most of the time I used to, my favorite job, the best job I ever had in or out of the Navy was I used to drive a tugboat. Uh, it was, it was fun. It was cool. I was pretty good at it, but you know, every now and then things went wrong and there were some kind of dangerous situations I found myself in. And it's like, after it was over, it's like, just, you know, and you're kind of shaking a little bit. So, and, and, and that was, and that wasn't actually people shooting at me, but still, you know, you carry things with you, uh, you know, and it's not just the military that happens to everybody. Everybody gets in situations like that. I had situations like that. Lots of them when I was driving a truck, uh, we, you know, you, you just, you have to get in. So you have to, I don't know. I don't know where I'm even going with this. 
uh, veterans got to understand that they're carrying things with them, and we have to be sympathetic. But once again, as you mentioned, as I always mentioned, it is the individual responsibility to deal with the problems, uh, but it's kind of our collective responsibility, such as it is, to give people the chance to deal with their problems. Uh, have I said enough about that? I always have to ask you, you know, because I, you know uh, me, you know me, I can just start rambling on. I, I think I'm not you do as make good a great at it point. as you are. <laughs> well, I do try to uh, listen to your to show keep the ramble the rolling. You, you can ramble. Stories. <laughs> well. Yeah, here's here's the thing though, Chief. I, I think you raise an extremely good point, and you do it from the perspective of uh, someone who is, in fact, uh, someone who served, but uh, you didn't necessarily find yourself in some of those more harrowing situations. But you know, a lot of us just take it for granted, and we do need to understand. I, for one, I'm grateful for every single person who was willing to go stand a post. I'm grateful for every single person who was willing to swab a deck. I'm grateful for every single person that got into the cockpit of a, a jet fighter or a helicopter. And I, I'm grateful for that because I understand not from the experience, but I understand that there is tremendous sacrifice that takes place uh, that most people will never truly grasp unless they're in those circumstances. Uh, I saw this post the other day. I wish I could take credit for it. I think it's probably the most apropos thing that every person who has not served should try to keep in mind, not just for Veterans Day, but for every single day. And that is that if you want to thank a veteran, be the kind of American worth going and fighting for. Uh, I, I I think that is probably some place where uh, – or we should try to keep our mindset so that we can understand that uh, we have this political divide in this country that should not be quite as large as we've allowed it to become. Because at the end of the day, if you are an American, you should want what's best for America. You should want what's best for your fellow Americans naturally. Uh, the uh, natural inclination is what's best for me, but – You'd be surprised how often you'll find out those things kind of intersect. Uh, last minute or two, uh, Chief, uh, any closing thoughts you'd like to share? Uh, um, well, you know, the, the military service, as you mentioned, is kind of dangerous. When I was aboard aircraft carriers, and I did several cruises on the USS Constellation, I did like three crew, three deployments on that ship, one deployment on the Independence. And it seems like every time the captain would say, my number one goal for this deployment is to come back with every everyone we left with. You know what? It never happened. We always had some kind of an accident or, or some illness or something where somebody died and never made it home. One or two people every cruise. 
Now, granted, an aircraft carrier has like 5,000 people on it, so it's just, it's going to happen. Just like, you know, your people, somebody's going to die in six months in any 5,000-person town in America. So, but still in all, it does happen. And an aircraft carrier, the flight deck of an, I mean, those people are, those are some of the bravest people. That is the most dangerous place you can work is the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. And a lot of bad things happen there. But those people are really good, and it's kind of really amazing how rare these accidents are. And I spent a whole lot of time, because I worked in the uh, up in the pilot house, and so I spent a lot of time looking out the window over the flight deck saw what went on there and those people do an amazing job very dangerous all right so chief once again thank you so much for joining me today as always i greatly appreciate your time and your insight and the fact that uh you're willing to uh Stand up and uh, have your voice heard, whether it's popular or not, uh, whether people want to hear what you have to say, which, let's face facts, Chief, most of the time people only want to hear their opinion coming out of someone else's mouth. <laughs> so we'll find ourselves all over the map on that count. But thank you so much, Chief. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Steve. Please check out Simple Facts of Life. Like I said before, easiest way to find him is to go on over to blogtalkradio.com. Go to the search bar and seek out Simple Facts of Life. That'll get you there real easy. But he did give out the official uh, show page earlier, so check that out. Meanwhile, we're going to reset as we move into the second hour for the live broadcast. This is a little match Fitzgibbon. Uh, you can check him out at patriotmusic.com. Thanks to Matt so much for letting me use his music. And uh, we will reset at the top of the second hour. Guys, for those who are here live, stay with me. For those of you who are listening to the rebroadcast, tune in tomorrow. I'll be back.
And for those of you who are hearing the rebroadcast or who are listening to the show later for whatever reason and whatever method, the time of the live broadcast. It is November 10th. It is 2019. It is just a few brief moments after 4 p.m. Eastern, and so you can adjust to your time zone accordingly just in case something sounds a little dated by the time you hear it. There's no shortage of things to talk about. This is Veterans Day weekend with Monday being Veterans Day. We have the show trial starting this upcoming week as Democrats decide to go public with impeachment hearings. We'll see how that plays out. You're probably getting wall-to-wall coverage of that already. So there are other stories that are out there that I think are well worth the discussion. Uh, Stories like a young boy whose mother seems to think that he should be a she and that her name should be Luna and her (laughs) her strange ideas have forced issues between her and her ex-husband to go to court, and now there's gag orders and such. Well, there is breaking news in that story uh, over the end of last week, and that is when left to his own device, given a choice, the young boy, who is definitely not Luna, no matter what mommy says, decided to go to school dressed as a boy, all on his own, made it quite clear. So that's kind of a big deal. Glad to see that happening. Uh, The boy's allowed to make a choice. He chooses to be himself wow what a what a wild concept eh? just to throw it out there now i mentioned that as a segue because again there's not a whole lot of news on that uh, front but that is kind of a big deal in and of itself not a lot of details are readily available because obviously people have to be real careful because even though there's not a direct gag order on them if they're trying to be supportive of the mother or the father, violating uh, the gag order could be seen as still a coordinated effort, so it still could get them in some trouble. So they have to be real careful what path they go down when they reveal this information. So for their benefit, uh, they're still keeping it on the, the DL a bit, so a lot of information not readily available. But just in case you hadn't heard it, that young boy got to decide for himself, and he chose to be a boy. Some of these other news stories, though, are not all that dissimilar, and uh, these stories are kind of flying below the radar unless you are getting local coverage, which isn't entirely possible. And I'm going to start with uh, what parents and activists are saying about Austin, Texas' brand-new progressive sex education curriculum that they're pushing. It seems that the Austin Independent School District plans to implement a new progressive sex ed curriculum in 2020. Parents and activists both have expressed concerns over the curriculum's sexual explicit nature. And a lot of people will say that abstinence is – that abstinence – enunciation is a good thing, Tim, especially for the radio <laughs> – will say that abstinence isn't a reality. That. It's coming as a direct quote from a candidate for the state's House of Representatives. Well, in third grade, I kind of hope it is, (laughs) honestly. Uh, So here's the deal. An Austin, Texas school district plans to implement explicit sex ed in 2020. Parents and activists have warned that this is an agenda-driven curriculum that they fear – sexualizes their children 
as young as eight years old. So, I mean, is it a coincidence that we're hearing this target age of eight for so many of these social engineering projects? Now, state law in the great state of Texas requires that educators emphasize abstinence in public schools if they're going to teach sex ed. Now, some people have criticized that as being a rather conservative policy in a state where only 52 percent of Texans voted for President Donald Trump in the 2016 election. I would say no, it's a law that actually exemplifies what the majority of Texans really feel when it comes to teaching sex education. Granted, when you start start talking about this 52% of Texans, you're talking about a lot of folks who have moved to the more bluish areas like Austin and Dallas-Fort Worth from California and have brought their left-leaning policies with them. Uh, this huge influx has been an intentional effort to turn the state blue. The fact of the matter is that only 52 percent of Texans voted for President Trump, but probably only about 20 percent of that 52 percent were <laughs> actual Texans uh, native-born. Now, that should tell you everything you need to know. Uh, I think I might have said the numbers a little backwards there. The folks that were voting against Donald Trump are not native-born Texans. An overwhelming majority would have been. Anyway, you guys know what I'm saying. Now, the law that we're talking about also mandates that parents have the ability to opt their children out of these sex ed lessons. But the Austin Independent School District which, of course, is located in the very left-leaning Austin area, where about 66% of Austin residents voted for Hillary Clinton. Now, I'm not real sure why we want to keep pointing this out, but it seems important to understand the mindset because, again, most people who are slightly to the left of Hillary Clinton are Mao Zedong. Maybe, maybe Khrushchev might have been slightly so – I, I think Hillary might be a little – now, Hillary hides it. She's not open about it. But anyway, uh, most of your average voters who are only slightly left of center, though, had a real problem with Hillary. Most of the fact that she's a dangerous criminal and Epstein didn't kill himself. Now, as far as 66 uh, percent of Austin residents who voted for Hillary, this tells you something about who's making up – the overwhelming majority of folks who were in charge of the Austin Independent School District. Now, this group, the district itself, it's drafted a new curriculum that takes sex education to a whole nother level. Parents have been uh, reaching out to any news agencies that are willing to listen, and sadly, it's still not getting very much attention outside of the area. Uh, it's still mostly a regional story. These parents have said that this new curriculum teaches children sexually explicit material. It teaches them how to obtain abortions. It teaches them how to get to an abortion clinic without a parent's help, and that's just for starters. The new human sexuality and responsibility curriculum is actually what they're calling it, and this new human sexuality and responsibility curriculum – 
Well, it's an updated version of Austin's former curriculum, which had not been updated since 2009. This, according to spokesman Scott Thomas, for the Austin School District. Thomas said that the Austin uh, School District, in fact, did unanimously vote to pass this brand new curriculum on October 28th following a survey that overwhelmingly showed support for the update. Now, I can't help but wonder if there might be uh, this little pole twisting going on. You know how when we talk about you can sometimes make data look like it's saying something that it's not. Sometimes you can make data look like it's saying something completely different, and you do that by playing with the nature of the questions and then deciding that means something completely different. I wonder if maybe some of that's in play here because from now, looking back at 2009, maybe there's a good number of people that did in fact vote in this little survey that wanted an update, not necessarily this update. Maybe they agree that it's time to take a look at whatever's there. Maybe they thought the 2009 standards might have already went too far, and they wanted something to get back to a little more conservative idea. Now, granted, you're not going to run across somebody who leans to the left that's ever going to accept that that's what's best for the children in the school district. But they most definitely will be happy to to put the question in front of you, would you like to see us update this policy, and then turn around and show that as overwhelming support for this new policy because they wanted a new policy. And then they're not going to sit there and argue what the difference between a new policy and the policy they're pushing. And just to kind of play that out, here's some of the ideas. I mean this particular survey showed that 10.5% of family student primary contacts, uh, they responded, leaving about 90% of family student primary contacts who did not weigh in on the curriculum. Okay, so what that means was only about 10% of the people who send their children or send – the child they're responsible for, because again, let's let's face back to even in Texas, we don't always have homes where the parents are the ones that are raising the children anymore. But only about 10%, it's just a smidge over 10% of the people they actually reached out to with the survey actually weighed in on the curriculum at all, meaning that 90% of the folks didn't say anything about it. So they certainly could not have come in supporting it, could they? Now, the spokesperson, Thomas, has uh, said that the ISD stands by its statement on the overwhelming popularity of the survey and is, quote, very confident the survey is representative of the population. Instructions of the new curriculum will be taught beginning in May of 2020, Thomas uh, also said, adding that parents will be able to opt their children out of one, several or all lessons. He did not respond, however, to a request for comment as to how the survey was representative of the population if 90% of the family student primary contacts didn't respond to the survey. Hmm. Now, the curriculum was originally based on – hang on to your socks, boys and girls – 
Planned Parenthood's sex education curriculum. <sighs> I just want that to sink in for a second, so I'm taking a, a pause. Um, <laughs> excuse me. See, that it just got me all copped up. That one came up out of nowhere. All right, so get real. That was what it's called. But a, a recent bill that was signed by Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott prevents this, and uh, the vice president of Texas Values, David Walls, uh, said in a comment that uh, Abbott signed Senate Bill 22, which is a bill prohibiting government transactions with abortion providers, meaning that Planned Parenthood has no business being involved with education anymore, at least not state-run schools. Uh, Walls said, quote, essentially what they ended up doing was cobbling together a bunch of curriculums from one uh, area over here and then from other uh, ultra-lefty areas. Uh, they took some curriculums from uh, Canadian abortion providers. Walls also added that uh, the ISD board compiled the first draft so hastily that they forgot to update the age of consent listed in the curriculum uh, evidently from the age of consent in Canada, which is 16. Uh, they didn't upgrade it to the age of consent in Texas, which is 17. So they were so quick copy and pasting that they didn't take adequate time to proofread. It's like, uh, excuse me, you uh, work for uh, the state of Texas? Yeah. Uh, what about this age of consent thing? That is not correct. All right. So at any rate, uh, continuing the quote now. It was literally a hodgepodge of stuff that we are still looking into. Now, Dan Quinn, who is the spokesman for the Texas Freedom Network, which of course tracks sex education in the state. I say, of course, like you would just know that. Now, now Dan said that the opponent's stance of the updated curriculum is hair on fire extremism. At least that's what he was quoted as saying in the Texas Tribune. I'm trying to figure out. Texas Freedom Network doesn't like the reaction to this new curriculum. Hmm. Now, Dan said, quoting again, this is just a rerun of what we've seen over and over again for years. At the same time, the state continues to have one of the highest teen birth rates in the nation. Hmm. Perhaps that's because they're being encouraged by what you're teaching in your classrooms as opposed to being discouraged. Now, that doesn't mean you have to provide disinformation. It doesn't mean you have to use scare tactics. It doesn't mean you have to do any of those silly things that leftists always whine about. But there still should be some discouragement in engaging in premarital sexual activities. Now, granted, I know this is America, baby. How dare you? Well, here's what I know. Those of you who wait to get married before you have children, those of you who actually build a relationship and decide this is who I want to be with, and you know, granted, even those folks make mistakes, but those of you who wait before you have the children – you typically have more successful lives, both emotionally and economically. Uh, the stats ferret it out, period. You don't have to be some great detective. Sherlock Holmes does not have to show up to tell you this. 
It's also clear cut when you have a baby first, then those relationships don't tend to end out very well and certainly not very successful and usually traps you in a cycle that prevents you from being very successful. And it's it's terrible. So maybe if somebody would try to teach you about all of the consequences up front, being honest, you don't have to be dishonest. Uh, you do have to push through the dishonesty from the left. This my body, my choice business, uh, choices come with consequences. That's the part that they're leaving out, and that is dishonesty. Now, the curriculum itself the curriculum will tell children as early as the third freaking grade that their doctor assigned them a gender at birth. Not that you were born a boy or that you were born a girl, but that your doctor said, mm, uh, this one's a boy, this one's a boy, this one's a girl. But, but doctor, this one doesn't have a penis. Doesn't matter. We've had three boys. We've got to even it up. Otherwise, uh, the ACLU will down our, be down our throats over here saying that we're not being – Equitable or who knows what. That's the insanity we live in. So they're trying to teach third graders here as part of this curriculum that the doctor assigned them a gender at birth. And these children will also be told that this gender is not necessarily the sex that they are. Elementary school children will be taught that most of the time a doctor who sees that a child has male genitalia will assign the child as a boy. Most of the time. I haven't come across very many exceptions to that. Anyway, the gender ideology and sexually explicit material uh, emerge in the curricula primarily in fifth grade. Concerned parents of Texas advocate uh, Carol Frederick uh, was talking to the Daily Caller News Foundation, uh, and Frederick uh, made the statements – because she has two grandchildren enrolled in the Austin uh, Independent School District. Frederick said that the, that the curriculum instructs teachers to administer a worksheet to 11-year-olds that explains what health services are offered at certain clinics in the area. And then they're asked to figure out how they could get there if they had to go by themselves. So the point of this is to help the children understand how to get abortions on their own without parental help. This is what Miss Frederick was telling you, and it seems like uh, she's not missing the point. It doesn't take a great deal of deductive reasoning again here. Why do you need to know where this is when you are 11? Why would you need to know how to get there on your own? Frederick continued saying, quote, we're supposed to be a district where there is no place for hate. It's supposed to be a bully-free environment. Well, they don't have any trouble, any, trubby, any trouble bullying us. It's oppressive. It's discriminatory. I kind of like the fire in Frederick's belly. So there is a political agenda behind this sex education. I'm not the only one saying so. Jennifer Feck. Jennifer Feck, a candidate for Texas State House of Representatives, also pointed this out, saying part of the district that Feck is running for overlaps with South Austin. 
In fact, learned of the Austin ISD's updated curriculum through friends in the area and from Texas Values. Beck has dealt with progressive sex education programs before, but she said Austin's ISD's curriculum is the worst she's ever seen. What makes this curriculum so insidious, according to Beck, is that about 50% of the curriculum essentially sexualizes children through its teaching material. It's not just about teaching children about sex. I always say I'm for optimal health of the student. What is the healthiest way we can teach a young child? That should be our goal. Texas law requires that teachers emphasize abstinence in sex education for young children. And this program seeks to sneak around the requirements by briefly mentioning abstinence before dwelling on topics like condoms and birth control. A lot of people will say that abstinence isn't a reality. Well, in third grade, I hope it is. That is a direct quote again from Ms. Feck. Now, if you're imagining that some of these folks may be conflicted, you would not be wrong because let's face facts. Not everybody who's falling in line with the leftists are really that far left. You have some folks that are just slightly left of center, and those folks, they are still trying to figure out why so many other things are being pushed down their throats. Some of them are willing to just go along to get along because they want to be with the cool kids until their children is in danger, and then conflicts pop up. Some Austin parents look at their fight against the sex education curriculum as a moral issue. The curriculum instructs teachers to steal primary terms for children and replace these primary terms with more gender-fluid identification. Teachers will teach children, instead of mom and dad, what are some other words we can use? Instead of girl and boy, what are some other words we can use? Quoted here, Lisa Williams, a mother of two elementary school-aged children in the Austin ISD, said that the most alarming part of the situation is that the process was non-compliant with Texas law. Now, to me, that's not the most disturbing part. To me, the most disturbing part is we have people that are targeting third graders for sexual reorientation. It's bad enough we know they've been targets for indoctrination for a long time, but this is literally targeting them for reorientation to at least confuse them enough, creating an artificial gender confusion. This is child abuse, and it's being done by the state. This is child abuse, and it's being done by government sources, by people, and I'm assuming this independent school district is a lot like most other school districts around the country and have people who are elected by the community, meaning that elected people will be trying to force an agenda-driven idea into the hearts and minds of children who not only are not being taught critical thinking to begin with but are too young to expect them to be able to utilize it even if they had been taught critical thinking, that are young enough that they still want to trust the authority figures that are put in front of them. This is my teacher. This is my principal. This is my doctor. I want to trust what they have to tell me because mom and dad say I should. Mom and dad are supposed to take care of me, and they say these people are willing to do so too. So I should be able to trust them. I should be able to believe what they tell me. These children are being abused mentally and 
if this is allowed to continue to a point that they start suffering from gender confusion, then also physically as well, because we know what happens in left-leaning communities to children who even question that they might be trans anything. Well, here, let me give you some hormone therapies, and we'll start talking about when we can schedule your surgeries to mutilate your body. I mean, to give you a, a body image that's more in line with what you believe yourself to be. Yeah, yeah, that's the PC talk for it. Back to quoting, said that I don't feel that the curriculum stresses abstinence enough. I feel it introduces things way too young, that it's teaching kids things that go directly against my religious beliefs, which as a parent should still matter for what the school is teaching the children. Williams also said, under the updated curriculum, her children will be taught and encouraged to utilize contraception and abortion and told that having sex is fine for children as long as everyone consents. Pedophilia is just another – it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Pedophilia is just a, another choice. It's just an, another – Uh, I'm so angry now I can't even think straight I'm about to lose my cool I'm trying really hard not to Williams continues saying that This process has really demonstrated The school board does not care What the parents think Really? Surprise! School board doesn't really care What the parents think why do you think they would move forward with a curriculum change if only 10 people responded at all? It has nothing to do whether those 10 people would have been down with it or not. What matters is they see only 10% of people are responding. They think 90% of the parents of the school district aren't paying any attention to what they're doing at all. They can do whatever they want, and you're not likely to even find out because only 10% of you are paying attention. The way Williams continues saying, uh, they're just pursuing their own objective, despite a lot of feedback that that is what people want. They're refusing to take a more moderate stance on this. There are a lot of parents that aren't even aware that this is going on. That's the really sad thing. This is going to be taught to our kids unbeknownst to them. It makes her lose trust in the school system in general. Williams finished by saying, what else are you teaching our kids? <laughs> well, I can tell you it's probably more things that you don't want them to be, quote, taught. It's probably more things that are only going to upset you, Miss Williams. You're recognizing something for the first time that more people should recognize far more often, and that is the simple fact that if you're not engaged with these schools, if you're not paying attention to what they're doing, then you are going to find yourself having to fight back against something that has already taken place as opposed to stopping it before it's put in place. It's because 
there's only 10% of you paying attention that this happened in the first place. So you have hit the nail on the head. It is unrealistic to believe that these school systems are going to do any of this without either A, the parents going along with, or B, the parents being completely clueless. I want to hope it's the second, but the second's pretty dadgum sad as well. All right, so I've run long with that segment a little bit, actually, because I think it's important enough that everybody here – because guess what, boys and girls? That's not the only place that stuff like this is happening. It's not just in Austin, Texas that you have to worry. It's astounding that anywhere in Texas you'd have to worry about something like that. But again, I tell you, take a look at the current demographics in Austin and in Dallas and in Fort Worth, places where left-leaning folks have moved from California and tried to migrate to. You see this attitude, and you see these changes, and it's just – it's going to continue to happen in other places. So please, if you are a parent or a grandparent that has – Children in elementary school, pay attention to every single thing that's being sent home from the schools. Pay attention to every single message. At most of these schools have now gone online. If you don't have a computer, find a place where you can borrow one or go get one of your own. Find a place you can get access to and read the, the message boards. Pay attention because, again, they're banking on you not paying attention. They're banking on you not caring enough to follow through. You're just going to you're, – with your very busy life, your kids are okay until they start telling you about something, and then it's too late. Uh, mommy, can we get bananas at the grocery store? Um, well, gee, Tommy, why do you need a banana? Well, teacher said that we need to practice putting this funny-looking balloon – what, 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 what? <laughs> it's it's going to be crazy. And you know, the worst part is I, I'm, I'm trying to put some levity there, but I would say that's probably been an actual conversation at this point. Probably been an actual conversation. Anyway, like I said, I've run a little long on this segment because it kind of irritates me. But in the meanwhile, let's do the Edwards Notebook, the Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day, and see if I can't get both of these other two remaining stories on uh, that I had planned. Uh, you guys stay with me. I'll be right back. And yet another reason to ignore rich leftist-leaning NBA sports personalities. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards on today's page from the Edwards Notebook. I am thoroughly convinced that Democrats, whether rich, poor, dumb, or intelligent, hate the United States of America. Whether it's LeBron James, Golden State Warrior coach Steve Kerr, or San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich, I find it ironic how Popovich and other rich NBA leftists hate President Donald Trump for having the unmitigated gall to battle against illegal border crossers pouring into our republic and overwhelming our system, and to add insult to injury, building a good wall on our southern border. Yet, at the same time, neither Islamic slavery or black Africans and Christians in northern Africa or the brutal Chinese crackdown on young Hong Kong residents who don't want to live under the boot heel of communist brutality doesn't seem to bother the hypocritical NBA stars 
who have a bigger problem with America protecting her southern border than communist Chinese and Islamic brutality. Mm-hmm. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.talkspot.com for news updates and other great stuff. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans tip of the day. According to McClatchy, there is a growing concern among service members and their families about various blood, prostate, and urinary tract cancers. From 2000 to 2018, the number of soldiers being treated for the three aforementioned types of cancer has steadily risen. Experts agree there are some common denominators, including the location where the soldiers served and the obvious fact that they were all in the military. Navy Commander Mike Crosby, founder of the Veterans Prostate Awareness, said, We don't know what the cause is. That study has yet to be done. So here's your veterans tip of the day. Go to vetsprostate.org. That's vetsprostate.org and check it out. Remember, early diagnosis increases the survival rate. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am back. Thank you so much for uh, staying with me through that very brief break. I want to thank Vorpalbite, who joined us briefly and has headed back out of the conversation already. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Or uh, somebody let him know I said so, since it's already took off. Also, we got Crazy Cajun hanging with us. Uh, he's, of course, one of the engineers at WCET 101.7 FM, Columbia's Talk in Columbia, South Carolina, where you are able to hear this broadcast live today, as well as you'll get to hear the rebroadcast later. Thank you guys for listening. A uh, special shout out to uh, Morgan, who is listening over at uh, WCET saying hi and agrees that uh, the story I was just talking about is sick, teaching eight-year-olds about sex. Uh, comment there is, wait until they start growing pubic hair, hey? Sheesh. Okay, uh, and that's a good point. But if you wait till they're old enough to start understanding what sexual identity actually means, uh, then it's going to be too late to completely erase their precepts And it becomes a little bit harder to convince them that maybe they're not what their biology insists that they are. It really does irritate me quite a bit. I I was having a conversation uh, via social media uh, with uh, an old high school friend uh, who I actually had remained pretty good friends with uh, for the most part, uh, even up till today, really. Got complicated there for a bit, but you know, friends are friends. Anyway, we're uh, speaking briefly in regards to the story about this uh, this couple in Texas who are separated and having the big battle where mommy wants her little boy to be Luna. And of course, I shared the the story when it was breaking that Luna, of his own accord, chose to dress as a boy and go to school that way because that's what he wanted to do when mommy wasn't making him. So we were talking about that and, again, asked the question, how is that not child abuse? And it's like, well, you know what? It is. It really is. I mean we make that point quite frequently here. I can't tell you how many folks have been in the chat room at different times. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've made the statement myself. It is child abuse. Trying to force sexual identity on someone who has not been through puberty yet 
is a willful open act of hostility. It is abusive. It's psychological abuse, and it can lead to physical abuse. These children need to be protected. Now, it is one thing to try and talk about how we need to be tolerant. It is something else completely to try and insist to these children that you don't know what you are. See, Vorpabites joined the conversation again. Welcome aboard, Vorp. Glad to have you here. So, yes, uh, again, uh, Morgan, you're absolutely right that we should – should at the very least let these kids get through puberty before we start trying to tell them what they are or what they aren't or that there are other options on the table. And uh, we should also require at the very minimum these folks becoming of legal age before we start allowing them to take permanent medical steps to alter their bodies. I think that's reasonable. Anyway… Somewhat related to these stories. This one I'm going to kind of run through real quick, uh, mostly because I want to spend more time with the other. But I think this one is worth mentioning because it smells a little Jussie Smollett-esque. Seems there's this gay radio host who claims that their employer called him a slur on Twitter, and now they've fired him. So Seth Dunlap, if you haven't heard, is an openly gay sports host. On WWL in New Orleans, Seth claimed that the radio station tweeted a homophobic slur at him back in September and allegedly demanded $1.8 million from the station, threatening to go, quote, scorched earth over the tweet. Now, the radio station, however, just this past week, fired Dunlap. Now, ordinarily, if you have something like this going on, firing them is the last thing you're going to want to do, at least at this point, because it certainly looks as if the radio station itself has done something wrong, and then it looks like the radio station's trying to cover something up. But the radio station fired Dunlap, claiming that now they have sufficient evidence to believe that he himself wrote the tweet and that law enforcement officials are now reportedly looking into filing charges against Dunlap. As the station launched its investigation, this is uh, from a report from the Washington Post. As the station launched its investigation, Dunlap allegedly demanded <laughs> Excuse me there. Again, the cops sneaking up on me. Sorry, guys. Dunlap allegedly demanded more than $1.8 million in compensation while he was facing financial troubles. Cassidy, the station executive, said that the police report later obtained by local media outlets. While on leave, the report claimed the host threatened the station and his parent company, a Pennsylvania-based Intercon – as an entertainment company, Intercom. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Uh, anyway, threatened them and the parent company that he would go scorched earth over the tweet. Now, the police report also said that the company had hired a digital forensic sperm, which has found that the tweet had not come from a hack, as some had suspected, but rather from an IP address linked to Dunlap's phone. Security footage also alleged that Dunlap entered his office and closed the door the moment before the tweet had been sent. In a statement after the alleged September incident, Dunlap wrote that he, quote, never wanted to be 
that gay sportscaster and was shattered earlier this week when my sexuality became the focus of local and national news headlines as the result of a hateful and homophobic Twitter attack from the official Twitter account of my employer. You guys remember this being a national story? I must have missed it. Anyway, Dunlap said that he was taking a leave of absence because it was a painful step that he had to take for his emotional and mental well-being. I truly believe this attack was in part the result of deteriorating civil discourse in our country. Dunlap saying orange man bad, boys and girls. I just Jesse Smollettid myself, an orange man is bad. Dunlap continued with saying, powerful men and women have decided to make hate, bigotry, and decisiveness platforms for this advancement in public life. It's apparent that for too many people, far too many people, have forgotten the ugly lessons of the past. And this growing divide threatens to shatter the very foundations of an equal and welcoming society. What happened on Twitter earlier this week is a symptom of that sickness. You know what? I'm going to agree with Dunlap when he says that uh, far too many people have forgotten the ugly lessons of the past. You live in a country where people knowing that you were gay, you were able to be a sports broadcaster for a sports radio station. You were able to be open and in the public and have a job where you were in the public domain. The ugly lessons of the past would have had you forced to be hiding in a closet, never free to tell anyone who you were. That's not the America that we live in today. That's not the America that we're even close to being today. Are there still homophobic people out there? I would imagine probably so. Are they hacking the Twitter account on your employer and sending out racial slurs or sending out homophobic slurs or sending out any type of bigoted slurs directed at you or anyone else? I would imagine probably not. It certainly wouldn't be the radio station itself. They use Twitter to try and garner a larger audience, to reach more people than they could reach otherwise, and to draw people into listening to their sports radio stuff. They want you to be successful if they hired you because the more successful you are, the more successful they will be. It's the nature of being on radio. So this whole notion is absurd on its face. So yeah, too many people, people like yourself, people like Jesse Smollett have forgotten the ugly lessons of the past because you're way too readily to use this ugliness from the past to paint the present with it and pretend like whatever you've had to deal with is just as bad as things that have happened before. You want to pretend like this is just as bad as the lynchings that took place as the KKK trapped people down. 
You want to pretend like this is just as bad as what the Jews faced during the Holocaust. You want to pretend like these things are just as bad as the worst things that have ever happened. And you know what? For you, maybe it is because it's the worst thing that's happened to you. But the fact that that is the worst thing that has happened to you means that all those people who came before you, those people who lived that ugly past, have fought the fight that allows you to live in relative freedom today without having to face much more than a few harsh words on Twitter. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's much of an excuse for it, but from all intents and purposes here, from what I'm reading in the report from from the New Orleans Police Department, it looks as if they are convinced you did this to yourself. Now, you had a judge come down on your side because there was an effort here because a New Orleans police detective wanted to get an arrest warrant because they thought that Seth Dunlap should be charged with at least a count of extortion. Fortunately, you had a judge come down and say, sorry, you don't have enough evidence to get that count of extortion, but I'm telling you this right here, right now. <laughs> there are legal consequences for making these kind of accusations. There are legal consequences for trying to extort money. And if I were you, Mr. Dunlap, I would try to get myself out of the spotlight before people start saying, well, you just, uh, you just, uh, you just dunlapped yourself instead of how I'm saying that you just small yourself. Let Jesse have this one and stop trying to deal with the fake hate crimes. There's too many real crimes out there for us to worry about. So if I was you, I'd cross my fingers and, and really hope that you get to be that gay sports talk guy. (laughs) All right, one more story I want to get to real quick before we uh, run out of time. And, of course, I am running time swiftly. It's just getting away. Uh, We've talked about GLAAD before. We've talked about uh, in years past some of the reports that they will occasionally release where they want to tell you how many – Returning main characters on every television station should be LGBTQ. Well, this past week they published their new annual report, which is also known as the Where We Are on TV report. And it takes a good long look at all the numbers of LGBTQ characters on television. And in the opening paragraphs of the report, GLAAD President Sarah Kate Ellis says that television plays a crucial role in our culture when it comes to changing hearts and minds. That's why movies and television are used quite frequently for the social engineering of the leftist. So she's absolutely right. She added that uh, according to a study, less than one quarter of Americans have a close friend or family member who is transgender. That would mostly because even though the study didn't want to admit it, there's really not that many of them. It's kind of the heart of the matter here of this story, by the way. So less than a quarter of Americans have a close friend or a family member who's transgender, which means many Americans learn about trans people from what they see on television, movies, and news. Once again, tipping your hand, do 
to this statistic, Ellis said. The casting of trans actor Brian Michael Smith in Fox's 911 Lone Star is so important. Okay, well, I would imagine that uh, Brian Michael Smith would think it's important because he would like to work in the job that he chose. Anyway, the report cites an online survey of the whopping definitive number of 2,037 adults conducted by a Harris poll that suggests that – and hang on to your hats because we know this is way off – suggesting that 20 percent of Americans ages 18 to 34 identify as LGBTQ and that approximately 12 percent of overall respondents identified as LGBTQ. Now, again, 2,037 adults in the entirety of the report. How many people do you think responded to this only responded because they were, in fact, LGBTQ or because they want to be seen as an ally or because they might be bi-curious? Never mind that. That's just speculation on my part, isn't it? They have a poll. Now, I would also like to point out that there are other polls. According to a 2017 poll from Gallup, for example, a survey that they conducted via telephone interviews with a random sampling of eh, just a few more, 340,604 U.S. adults, just a few more than that 2,000, only 4.5% of the U.S. population identify as LGBT. Now, they left the queue off on purpose. Uh, (laughs) I don't know why. I guess they were afraid that 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 uh, the Q part is really what jumps the the four percent up to twenty percent. It's ridiculous. According to the Gallup poll, the percentage of millennials who identify as LGBT expanded from seven point three percent to eight point one percent in the gap between twenty sixteen and twenty seventeen, and that of course was up from five point eight back in twenty twelve. Again, this is only millennials that we're talking about. So GLAD issued a report, uh, and the final challenge to the TV industry was as follows. GLAD is calling on the industry to ensure that 20% of series regular characters on primetime scripted broadcast series are LGBTQ by 2025. Further, we would challenge all platforms to make sure that within the next two years, half of LGBTQ characters on every platform are people of color. While broadcast has actually hit its mark two years in a row, cable and streaming have yet to reach this goal. These two steps are key moves towards ensuring that entertainment reflects the world in which it is created and the audience who consumes it. Oh, pretty words for a funny way of saying, hey, you guys, you're not showing enough uh, the LGBTQ community to make all these children believe what we're telling the eight-year-olds about how a doctor assigned their sex, and, and they don't really know what it is yet. Hey, guys, you're not showing enough of the LGBTQ folks on television and in movies for us to believe that there's more than... 12% of you in America, especially since we know the number, is only slightly over 4% now. And, and the only reason they got over 4% is because they keep adding more people. That's why the letters keep getting longer and longer. 
It's an absurdity to think that a group like this should have any power over the media. The problem is that the folks that control the media, like television and movies, most of them are wholeheartedly indoctrinated into the cause. Most of them are wholeheartedly behind the movement. They're probably disappointed that they think that they might be falling short. <laughs> but the thing is that even if you use GLAD survey data as a real estimate of the percentage of LGBTQ persons in the United States, the organization's challenge that 20% of series regulars on primetime scripted broadcasters – should be LGBTQ by 2025 would amount to a severe overrepresentation. Using GLAD's data, LGBTQ television characters would outweigh the actual LGBTQ population by 40%. Now, if we choose to use Gallup's data, the difference would be even more. Stark. The LGBT characters on television would outweigh the actual population by 77.5%. Now, GLAD's push for overrepresentation eh, obviously is a, fa a factor in the overestimation of the actual population of LGBT in America. In 2019, Gallup asked respondents just your best guess. What percent of Americans today would you say are gay or lesbian? Remember, we talked about this. The average respondent believed that 23.6% of the population is gay or lesbian. Broken down further, 35% guessed that the gay and lesbian population was more than 25%. 19% of these folks guessed that it was between 20 and 25. 10% guessed that it was 15 to less than 20, and still 14% of the folks they asked guessed that it was 10% to 15%. Only 8% of the people that responded to the survey guessed that the percentage of gay and lesbian persons in the United States was less than 5%, which is what it actually falls. Glad is demanding the television media to fall in line with what they want. And what they want is this overrepresentation so they can continue to confuse young Americans. And that is their goal. That is their agenda. It's not about acceptance. It's not about tolerance. It's about how do we control the minds of these young people. Let's get them not trusting the old folks. They're going to tell them that you're a boy or a girl, and that's decided by your biology. No, no, you can't trust those people. They don't know what they're talking about. Trust us. We know. All right, so that's going to have to be it for now. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for listening in. As always, I appreciate it. That's going to be it for me today. I am out. See you guys Tuesday.
Using both hands. 